turn now to our sermon text in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15. You shall not steal. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we read these words, indeed even in English and even more so in the original. They are few But Heavenly Father, how we pray that you would open to us their fuller understanding as made clear in the balance of Scripture and the good and necessary consequences of Scripture. That, Lord, you would enable us to understand the Eighth Commandment. And indeed, where necessary, you'd bring us under conviction of sin. That, Lord, you would grant to us, indeed, to glorify you in obeying this commandment. Lord, we would be like those in the psalmist, the 119th Psalm, that love your law and wish to know every aspect of it. We pray your help in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We come this evening to the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Again, we're in the second table of the law, well into it now, and this table has to do with how we love our neighbor and Contrast to the, well, not contrast, but differentiation to the first table having to do with how we love God. Now, we mentioned that the heart of this table, the second table, is the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, having to do with life itself, of existence itself. And that the next commandment, the seventh, had to do with the means of bringing about life And now, in the Eighth Commandment, we consider the stuff that sustains life, because that's important as well. Another way of saying it is, you shall not take away that which sustains life. Now, what do I mean when I say sustains life? Well, the reality is that we are frail creatures, frail creatures of dust. And ordinarily, it is money and the things that money buys that are the only things that keep us alive. Food, clothing, shelter... Healthcare, medicine, money buys these things. And therefore, there is a connection between the stuff, the material stuff, and our lives. And that's why the Lord cares about it and why there's a commandment concerning it. And that's also, by the way, why money is so close to our hearts. You think of those who are outside without Christ in the world, particularly in this very individualized society who maybe don't have a family sufficient to sustain them in times of need or else cannot trust them to do so, money is more or less their life. That is their life. And for them to, the prospect of watching money drain out of their account would be like watching blood drain out of their veins. That's why we take it so personally. That's why it's so close to us. But even for us, and of course we remind ourselves of the universality of God's law, it's for all people, those who are inside the visible church and those who are outside. But we're reminded that material things are required for life. We never think of them as if there's no God in heaven who loves us and cares for them, cares for us. We, we understand that there is, and we don't absolutize them, but we do understand the importance and understand that these are means. In a way, sort of like we we look at the means of grace. We understand it's not Christ himself in the preaching of the word, but it is surely the means 
by which we come to Christ. It is the means by which we are sustained by Christ, the means by which we are blessed, and all the rest of these things which God gives to us, it's necessary that we have the means, and therefore we protect the means of grace. Well, the stuff, the material, the money, that's the means by which God sustains our physical lives. And therefore, these things ought also to be protected. And we should interact with our own things and with the things of others in a way that manifests love, just as is the summary, as we read, the summary of this table of the law, that we should love our neighbors. Just two points. Uh, You shall not steal, and you shall not wrongfully diminish goods. You shall not steal, you shall not wrongfully diminish goods. So first, you shall not steal. That's a very simple verse, as I mentioned. And let me just say what the, the principle here is here. The principle is, is also very simple. It's just not taking what belo- does not belong to us. Even a child understands that. You should not take that which does not belong to us. But isn't it interesting that the very first sin, look, the first sin was many things, and, and we can look at it from a number of perspectives. But at the simplest, most basic form, you know, it's theft. Eve took something, and Adam joined in that sin that did not belong to her. That was the very first sin. Genesis 3.6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, and we'll speak, we hope, we'll trust that we have occasion to speak of the Tenth Commandment about covetousness and where it goes. But when she saw all these things... A tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. That was theft. And because of that theft, the very first security measures had to be put in place. You understand that in an unfallen world, in Eden, there were no gates, there were no locks, there were no keys, there were no doors, there was nothing like that at all. But then in Genesis 3.22... And now, this is the Lord speaking, now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so it has been ever since that people take things that which, are, which are not theirs And these things need to be guarded. Now let me say beyond that principle of stealing is taking what does not belong to us, that there is in all sin, and particularly this sin, there is an allure of taking that which is not ours just because it is not ours. Proverbs uh, 9.17 says that stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. It's a funny thing, stolen water. We don't think of that, and we couldn't imagine what difference does it make. But, you know, if it's stolen, all of a sudden it uh, attains a kind of level of interest and intrigue uh, because of our sinful natures. It's the forbidden fruit syndrome, as we call it. But going on in that proverb, but he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Well, that's the the principle involved. And now some of the specifications. What are the levels of theft that we're talking about? The levels of taking things that do not belong? Well, the highest one is robbery, taking what does not belong to us by force. 
Luke 10.30 reminds us of that. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now that's the worst possible case, is armed robbery, and how thankful we are for the ministry of the sword, as we read in, in Romans, the ministry of the sword, those who are given to protect us are the civil government, and we pray that they would continue to do so. Well, next to robbery, there is regular theft, like we'll see in Exodus chapter 22, soon enough. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If the thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there is no guilt for his bloodshed. This is what happens in terms of regular and ordinary theft. We know that. That's rather straightforward. Kidnapping also comes under this heading. Man-stealing is what we used to call it. Embezzlement. The example of Judas in in John chapter 12. Uh, You remember Judas took a front to uh, a generous gift. In John 12, 6, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. Well, that was in, it's called embezzlement, when you are given charge over something that's not yours and you steal from it. Extortion, of course, is part of that. And extortion has various different things, but we consider only the situation in, in Matthew uh, 21 when Jesus goes into the temple and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to him, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, But you have made it a den of thieves. Now, why does he call it a den of thieves? Okay, yes, we say it's not appropriate for this kind of merchandising to be going on in the Lord's house. But what specifically makes them thieves? Well, the reason is because everyone had to have the right kind of sacrifice. You know, this long ceremonial law and this kind of lamb or this kind of uh, bull and all the rest of it or birds. And so you had to, to have those things if you're going to worship God appropriately. And these people coming from long distances, sometimes from the diaspora, they couldn't do that. They couldn't bring them with them. And so here, helpfully, they've set up shop there, often with the collusion of those in authority, perhaps with kickbacks as well. And what you know, they charged highway robbery for those things. They didn't charge market rates for those animals, but because they had them over a barrel, it was extortionate. They charge extortionate things. And so we're reminded of the limitations of the free market. Uh, We are absolutely fine with the free market, and the word of God is fine with it, with the exception of you cannot uh, extort when these things are in your hands. We're reminded of the outrage, and I think probably right so when when Uber raised the rates incredibly because of a a terrorist attack. Uh, That's not a good idea. And God's people shouldn't be involved in those kind of extortions. Extortion, usury, Ezekiel 18.13 says, If he has exacted usury or taken increase, shall he then live? He shall not live. If he has done any of these abominations, he shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. And there is a distinction between uh, interest and usury, which... Uh, is a, a complicated matter, but let's, let's just say that there is such a thing as usury, which is uh, profiting uh, of, of people's bad circumstances and requiring, and we know that even today there are loan sharks that charge uh, usurious rates and companies as well. And again, God's people should not do that, taking advantage of people in times of need.
failing to pay what is owed to God, to the government, and other people. To God, now tithes actually came under the heading of the second commandment. We didn't spend too long on that. But uh, in, in another way, of course, it comes under this commandment. Because Malachi 3.10 says, will a man rob God? And, and that's a good question. You say, wow, is it possible to rob God? He's not a man that we should take from him. Well, it says this, yet you have robbed me. You say, in what way we've robbed you? In tithes and offerings, he says. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So now I don't need to add my own word to this, some sort of human word. I'm just relaying to you the word of God, that there is such a category as robbing God. And if you want to know what that is, it has to do with tithes and offerings. We should give of our first fruits to the Lord. We should give in order that his house be furnished, in order that his people be blessed through the means of grace, the maintenance of the means of grace, and as we seek to carry out the mission uh, of the church in various ways. To God himself, to the government, we give taxes to whom taxes are due, as we read in, in Romans chapter 13. We should absolutely do that. And to certainly to other people, all that we owe them. So we should not take that which does not belong to us. The first point was, you shall not steal. And the second is, or wrongfully diminish goods. Right? We consider how we do that with others. One of the ways is by taking bribes. We shouldn't do that. Or even receiving gifts that might possibly be seen as a bribe. You think of, of the man, uh, the righteous man Abraham in Genesis 23, verse 11. And it has to do with finding a burial site for his beloved wife. And the, the men of the, of the area, of the, the location, respond to him as he says he wants to buy a piece of property to do that. He says, no, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. And Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My lord, listen to me. The land is worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron. And Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver currency of the merchants. Now, why is that? What was the, what was the deal here? Well, it wasn't really a gift, you see. Abraham was a mighty prince among them. He was one of the mightiest of men. And it was not good policy to irritate such men in, in a situation there that doesn't have the modern state and a standing army and police and all the rest of it. And Abraham could have well have taken it by force had he wanted to, and so the man was just doing a good policy. It wasn't really a, a, a true gift. And so he knew that he, he at least feigned giving it. And Abraham understood that and acted accordingly. So not only refusing uh, in one sense, but even in this more subtle way. Likewise with David in Second Samuel 24 all these, O king, Aruna has given to the king, and Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. Then the king said to Aruna, 
But no, I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for, for 50 shekels of silver. So it's important if we're ever in positions of authority not to misuse that and to pay what we ought. Wrongful use of things, for instance, uh, the situation in Exodus 22.5, which we'll speak of, but man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed and lets loose his animal or feeds it in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. Lack of due care, causing loss for others. Right? That's important as well. Lack of due care, Exodus 22.14, and if a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it becomes injured or dies, the owner of it not being with it, he shall surely make it good. Right? We should take care. If we, we do borrow, and, and look, just imagine what a stay would be on our generosity if every time we lent something to one another we were fearful that they were going to so misuse it that it would be destroyed by the time we got it back. Uh, we should take care of things uh, at the very least, of the higher of the two ways, whether the, the way you customarily take care of things, if you're really good at taking care of things, or if the, the, the person that you're receiving from takes better care of that than you normally do, you need to rise up to their standards, or even better than both of those things uh, in the things that you, you borrow. That's uh, a good and godly way to do that. And it will encourage generosity in the way that we lend one to another. And not returning things that are lost. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. So children, you find things that are lost, you must make sure to return them. Now that has to do, as I mentioned, it has to do with wrongfully diminishing goods with others, but it also has to do with wrongfully diminishing our own goods. And one of those ways is laziness. Where does laziness? Again, it comes under two different headings. In one sense, it comes under uh, the fourth commandment because the fourth, com- uh, the, um, the fourth commandment has to do with the governing of our time, of the Sabbath day, and also the other six days that we should work six days. But it also has to do with this because our laziness tends to diminish the, the material things of this world. Proverbs 18.9, He who is slothful in his work is brother to him who is a great destroyer. Why is that? Great destroyer. That means he's destroying the goods. He's destroying the things that are useful to life. Well, the lazy is like that because he does not work to increase these things, but rather over time these things are diminished. There should be, and almost always is, a connection between work and material gain. But the opposite has the opposite effect of diminishing material goods. So laziness, wastefulness in two different kinds, prodigality, and that's wasting it on frivolous pleasures. Uh, We're warned against that in Proverbs 29. Whoever loves wisdom makes his father rejoice, but a companion of harlots wastes his wealth. Illustrated in Luke 15, 13. After not many days, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, prodigal living is totally different than true generosity. No one really benefited from this prodigality. He's just wasting it on himself for momentary pleasures. That's totally different than real generosity. On the other hand, you have Matthew 26, verse 7. A woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant uh, oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this Waste. See, they've miscategorized. You've got to be very careful, don't you, in the word of God to make sure you understand the right category of what you're dealing with. And the disciples, probably led by Judas, 
are miscategorizing this as prodigality. It's not that. And the Lord, of course, rebuked them and commended the woman, and she is commended, in fact, for all of time. Until the very end of the world, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, her act of generosity is made known of. So we have to be very clear in our own minds the difference between those things. And then improvidence or lack of wisdom. I was reminded, uh, remember when I was very impressed by reading in Beatrix Potter, the, uh, that, that word and um, re- reminding myself of, of what that meant. And it means, of course, that you're not taking due care for the future. All right? If you're being foolish and unwise and not looking at what's going to happen next, particularly in taking care of your family, you're improvident. God is, of course, the opposite of that. He is wonderfully provident. And his, in his providence, he cares even for the sparrows. He cares for all the animals. And he certainly cares for his people. We can be very sure of that. Inasmuch as it's in our hands, we also ought to care for the future of ourselves and of our families. Proverbs 13.23 says, Much food is in the fallow ground of the poor, and for lack of justice there is waste. Again, that's something we see a lot of in the third world. Well, those, these are the principles. This, these are the ideas of a very simple commandment, thou shalt not steal. Let's move on now to the applications as usual, focusing on those things in the larger catechism. And there are duties required, and there are sins forbidden. So first of all, the duties required in 141. Larger Catechism 141, what are the duties required in the Eighth Commandment? The duties required are, and I won't go through each and every one of them, but I'll go through a selection, truth, faithfulness, and justice in contracts and commerce between man and man, rendering to everyone his due. Truth, faithfulness, and justice. And so we need to think about it, not merely in failing to, in, not, in, in refraining from stealing from one another, because there are situations where you say, well, I'm not really stealing, but rather the, the positive requirement, the positive duty is truth, faithfulness, and justice in all of our dealings one with another. Giving and lending freely according to our abilities and necessities of others. I don't know if you thought about that as coming under the heading of the Eighth Commandment, um, but the Westminster Divines thought that this was one of the duties, the giving and lending freely according to our ability and necessity of others, another reason why we should promote and continue to pray for a spirit of generosity in our church. Moderation of our judgments, wills, and affections concerning worldly goods, that's part of it, a moderation of our judgments. And I think so much is actually solved by that one word, moderation. Because we're going to find that it's not like zeal for the Lord, in which there's no no good uh, moderation in our hearts to the Lord. We should be all out zealots for the living God. And there's no benefit, there's no blessing in being halfway. The Lord says that's being lukewarm and he's going to spit you out of his mouth. But as for our approach and attitude to things of this world, moderation is it. Right? We want to be provident, but we don't want to be misers. We want to be generous, but we don't want to be prodigal. We want to enjoy the good things that God has, but we don't want to waste them. And we want to work hard, but we don't want to be striving unnecessarily after riches. And the key word in all that is moderation. Moderation. 
a provident care and study to get, keep, and use, and dispose these things which are necessary and convenient for the sustentation of our nature and suitable to our condition. Much wisdom to be found in there. And again, I recommend to you the larger catechism. Go home and look at these things. Provident care and study to get, keep, use, and dispose things which are necessary and convenient for the sustentation of our nature suitable uh, and suitable to our condition. And I'll speak... Uh, next of the fact that there are sometimes differences of approach of how it is that those things happen and we must be generous and charitable in the way we evaluate one and another. A lawful calling and diligence in it. Not all callings are lawful, but we should look to find a calling that is lawful. And, And parents, as we guide our children, we should look to the long picture. What calling in the end is it that we are desirous for our children to have because we pray and we, we hope. And we, our priorities in these things are not always the same that the world has. The world has priorities for callings. And we should make sure that the church has things that are, are biblical and wise and good. That will be fruitful for the long time, long-term good of the church. Frugality. Uh, John 6.12. The same man who, uh, who greatly approved of the, the gift of the alabaster flask of oil... He said, so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. We should not be wasteful. Uh, we, we, can, uh, we need not be misers. We don't have to live like refugees. But there's really no point at all in being wasteful, and therefore we should not be such. And an endeavor by all just and lawful means to procure, preserve, and further the wealth of, uh, and outward estate of others as well as our own. That's the thing. So the heart of one who loves, and don't forget this is all about loving our neighbor, of loving our neighbor, is that we are also studying, we are also endeavoring, we are also wishing to procure that which is good and useful for each other, because we love one another, and we want good things for each other. Those are the duties required. Sins forbidden. Again, I'm being very selective here. On some, One of them is vexatious lawsuits, meaning frivolous lawsuits, which are terribly uh, common in the United States and becoming a little bit more so here, unfortunately. And beyond that, for Christians, there's a text in 1 Corinthians 6, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life. If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now therefore it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Well, let me just say, if this situation ever arises where you feel the need to take one of your brethren to court, the, the session stands ready to, to assist in accordance with 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, because that is not a good witness. Unlawful callings, example given in Acts chapter 19 of those who had practiced magic, burning their books and so forth, and just a reminder again, that we need to be engaged in, in lawful callings. Inordinate prizing and affecting worldly goods. 
First Timothy 6, 6 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. And so we should not inordinately prize and affect worldly goods. Distrustful and distracting cares and studies in getting, keeping, and using worldly goods. We just said we should do that, but not to a distraction and not to distrust. You see the moderation again. We should study and endeavor to get good things for our use and for, the, for others, but not to a way that is distrustful and distracting. And we're reminded, of course, of the situation of Mary and Martha. If, if your study for worldly goods is coming between you and your relationship with the Lord, well, that's a problem. That's why moderation is needful. As likewise, idleness, we spoke again of that. Idleness is, is not a good thing. Prodigality, because having, uh, well, actually, before we get to prodigality, let me, let me actually um, mention envying at the prosperity of others. If we seek to, to uh, balance these two things. And let me commend you that I think that we do better than some churches in this area, that we tend to rejoice when God gives good things one to another, and and may that continue. Um, But I I know that there are churches where pretty much everyone raises eyebrows, it's a practice art, when when somebody gets something new, new car, new clothes, new anything, and, well, look at that, that must be nice, and uh, that's that's not benign, That's, that's, that's not benign at all. Okay, that's sinful, and we don't need to go in that direction at, at all. We need to stay well aware from it, because the catch-all statement, the end of the question of, of, this state, of this catechism question, and all other ways whereby we do unduly prejudice our own outward estate and defrauding ourselves of the due use and comfort of that estate which God has given us. So if by our raised eyebrows we end up defrauding others from the comfort of that estate which God has given them, because they're so afraid to, to get anything new, then that's not actually keeping this commandment either. Okay? We need to be, check our own hearts in this. And we, we need to charitably, I mentioned, I'd say this, charitably uh, estimate how there are different ways that we go about the same idea. All right? Let's, let's use a, an example uh, of cars. All right? Now, I wouldn't dream of buying a new car. I wouldn't. That's just not the way I go about it. I buy cars that are at least 10 years old and with at least 100,000 miles, but things that, ha- that they have everything on them, right? And there might be someone else in this congregation who wouldn't dream of buying some old car that's a little bit on the big side and a little bit too much stuff on it, but would absolutely buy a brand new car every couple of years that has roll-up windows and doesn't have a radio and all the rest of it. And to, to you, that might be the essence of the wise use of resources. Well, and for me, this is the essence of wise use of resources. We don't need to raise eyebrows at one another. Rather, we say, may God grant us wisdom in the wise use of the things that we have. And always also with an eye of trying to be generous and having a capacity for others as we do it. And the Lord will bless that. He will not bless uh, our envying at the prosperity of others. So, that's on one side. And then prodigality, because having said all of that, we should not go to the opposite extreme. 
Uh, certainly not. And as I say, the word means being uh, as a pointless and sinful waste of money on our own pleasures, things that are not going to benefit in the long run. And I think in some other cultures, I'd probably spend more time on that one, um, but we probably don't, don't struggle quite as much on that one. And then wasteful gaming. That certainly means gambling. That it, the, the, it's, square, it's, it's directed squarely at gambling, and Christians should not be involved in gambling because that's what it is. Uh, they make money taking people because of their wasteful, ga- their wasteful game, uh, gaming. And that's the issue. It's not casting the lot. Remember, there are circumstances that our, our confessional statement, our, our standards say it's okay to cast the lot. Uh, because in essence, we, uh, without a blasphemous or idolatrous use of it, we are putting things into the hand of God to decide. Now, those cases are very, very rare, but there is such a category. Um, but gambling, of course, is not like that. It has to do with either unlawfully gaining things for, that has no, no connection with work. God didn't design it to work that way. Or ounce of being defrauded and wasting your money, which more ordinarily happens in gambling. But also, inasmuch as it... it Infringe, impinges upon our profitable use of time, it could well also include computer games that steal away our time. This is our generation. This is one of the plagues of our generation. Not that there exist computer games, but that young people spend an awful lot of time on them instead of something that is profitable. And we don't want to go to the extent of outlawing things, all right, that we're not, nobody's lord of your conscience. The question is, has this become something that has now kept you from doing more that's going to help your outward estate and others? And if it's gone to that point, it's gone beyond being a useful thing to do uh, as, as a, uh, a, a, time, a, a nice way to spend time one with another, then maybe you should stop doing it. Okay, and some other extra applications. For those who would preach, and there are some, failing to preach the whole counsel of God is stealing from the people. I hope you understand that. Jeremiah 23.30, therefore I'm against the prophet, says the Lord, who steal my words, every one from his neighbor. How about that? They were given words in order to preach them to your neighbor. You know, Christ himself was given words. And what does he say at the end of his ministry? In the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he says, I gave them the words that you gave to me. He didn't steal. Never did he once steal. He rendered to those that which was due And my fellow preachers, if we have words from God to preach, and we are stealing if we do not give them to the people to whom they are to be given. And for the children, theft from parents is still theft. Proverbs 28, 24, whoever robs his father or mother and says it is no transgression, the same is a companion to a destroyer. And we should not steal even from those whose job it is to provide for us and plagiarism beloved i want you to understand that plagiarism is rampant in our electronic age it is so easy to go online and find the answer to things to find essays and all the rest of it and uh, it is so rampant in some universities they almost accept it now but the people of god should never fall into this We do not steal the words from others and try to pass them off on our own. We pray, and indeed, there's so great temptation to that. We pray that the Lord would enable us to resist all temptations to plagiarism. Thirdly and finally, of these extra applications, remember that Christ came to save thieves like us. Along with that, 
the last Adam didn't steal. The first Adam did steal. The last Adam didn't. And how thankful we are for that. How thankful that we proclaim not only that he never fell into any one of the many temptations that were presented to him. He never did take any forbidden fruit in the slightest. But on the other hand, John 10, 7. Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That is our Savior. He is the one who has come not to steal from us, but or anyone, but to lay down his life in order that we might have all of his good things. Do you know there's not a single thing which the Lord has which he does not intend to give to us? Now, he in his wisdom, it spaces out the way that he gives those good things to us. But in the end, there's not a single thing that he possesses that is possible to communicate to us that he will not give. What a, communi- what a, what a wonderfully generous God. What a wonderfully generous Savior. And that he is willing to do these things all at his own cost and expense. Truly, he has loved us. And how thankful that we, we who are in various ways thieves, yes, we have not kept this commandment. But that such a Savior came in order that we might be made right with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we cannot come to the end of any of these sermons without being affected and being condemned by the word of God. Lord, in our blindness and in our inattention to the law, uh, we fancy that we are not very guilty. But Lord, when we consider the purity and the full extent of the duties required and the sins forbidden in this commandment, we recognize that we are all guilty of defrauding our neighbors. Lord, how we pray your forgiveness for these things. We pray indeed that we would turn from false things to the living God in faith and how thankful that Christ has come to save sinners of whom I am chief. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd grant us a desire to live in full conformity to your law, just as Christ himself did, never taking anything that did not belong to him, but rather at his own cost, giving generously to those whom he loved. Indeed, Lord, he has surely loved his people. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that this church, we individually, we as families, and we as a whole church, would come increasingly into perfect conformity to this aspect of your law. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.